Today's reading is from Act 4, 32 to 37. Learning to love as Jesus does. The believers share their possessions. All the believers, one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, and the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, one and all. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed sitting in the nursery down here, um, just surrounded by new life. And uh, they just, I want you guys to know they're a ministry, just to see them. Uh, I find it quite moving, but um, there we go. I am pleased I don't have to talk about church growth this morning um, and keep a straight face with you guys. But church expansion is a different thing. Church reach, so it's expansion um, that way in activities. So I have given a twist this morning to the passage that Muriel's just read. Um, Learning to love as Jesus does at home? No. Yes, we want that. (laughs) At work? No. We want that. But learning to love as Jesus does in the community, in society, in the neighborhood, in the parish. This is an Anglican situation. Sort of. (laughs) Um, So if I put this up, um, when was the last time the following happened round your way? I'm from Nottingham. We talk about, does it go off round your way? It's round our way. (laughs) Anybody with me there or not? No. (laughs) Come on, you northerners. Yeah. So it's all very well saying, when did this last happen in Britain? When did these four issues happen in your street, your road, your community? The people unite behind a compelling purpose. People stop seeing what they have as being for their own exclusive use. And my mum told me in the post-war years that her family had a big pot that you could dye clothes. So instead of buying new clothes, you put them in the dyer and change the color. Voila, a new dress. And as soon as it was known, 
all the friends up and down the street, and it was semi-public property. Are you with me? Now, those of a certain age are smiling at me, because you know if you had a washing machine, there was a queue beyond the family. The produce of allotments was shared. See, people selling off their unused assets and funds redistributed to a common pot for neighbors. Wow. But here's the thing. No one is knowingly left in need in your community, down your street. Now, if you are of a certain age, when was the last time you remember this happening? And you're probably, to save time, you would probably say during the war and in the austerity in the years just after the war. Am I right? Please, yeah, nods happening from a certain age. Communism seeks to impose what we've just read in the scripture. What politician wouldn't want to see such behavior in Britain today? None in need is a driving value of the welfare state that is one of the jewels in the crown of our country. And one of the reasons for the influx of people seeking asylum here from all over the world. Who wouldn't want to live in a society like this? I mean, you know, duh. <laughs> Don't you think? But here's the thing. The early church behaved like this. That's why it grew. Duh. <laughs> And Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, 47 says, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. You bet they did. They're not daft. Who wouldn't want a society like this? And it goes on. And the Lord added to their number daily. Now, Julia has an ex-colleague uh, who's leading a Baptist church in Birmingham. And it's almost people are added to that church weekly. When we get home from here, it's not uncommon while the dinner's on, Julia looks at her messages and says, Oh, Aaron's had a new, two more conversions this morning. Almost every week. And an Iranian fellowship of 30-odd, they have a separate service now. But here it says, the Lord added to their number daily. Now, <laughs> sometimes we want to mix common sense with the miraculous. 
And I'm not suggesting, I mean, what, what makes us comfortable is, oh yes, the Lord added daily, the miraculous happened. No, the common sense happened. It was so attractive. It was a perfect, fertile context to listen to the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me just put it to you like this. I, I can remember in the 1990s, I preached for a guy called Pastor Derek Moyes, the senior minister at Central Methodist Church, Melbourne, Australia. And the story of the church was that it had been small, city center church, all right, but small, middle class, traditional, and dying. So, they asked their people not to go out and evangelize. You say, oh, dodgy, already dodgy. No, and I'll show you why. <laughs> not to evangelize, but to ask the community two key questions. Number one, what do you think our church should be doing in this community. And number two, if we did it, would you be willing to become part of it? <laughs> you see where this is going. So the church made a list of all the responses, and here's the thing, they totally redesigned their church program around the answers that came in. That's not to leave the scripture, that is to apply the scripture. That is to make the scripture relevant to the community. And so I've had to underline here, they redesigned the entire program turned it upside down. From that point on, the church went into growth and became one of the largest Bible-centered churches in Australia because it was one of the most community-engaged churches in Australia. They enjoyed they began to enjoy the favor of the people. If there was a social problem, our church have got a program that are addressing just that. And the ministry exploded. And it's one of the most prestigious and largest churches I have ever preached in in my life. Now, why did it happen? Here, here's why. Because the community could see what the church was for. Do, do you get that? They could see what church is for. And they wanted a part of what they saw. In reality, they discovered the community was not asking whether the gospel is true so much as what difference would it make if I embrace Christianity? That was the question of the community. So because they liked what they 
saw they came and wanted to join in. Remember Jesus in Matthew 6. Let your light so shine before men and women that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's the spiritual payoff. Are you with that? They joined in because the church was modeling the kingdom of God. It was not just talk. It was not just doctrine. It was not just theology. It was not just denominationalism. It was not just church going. As Os Guinness Put it, it was the promoting, at less promoting of the gospel and more free samples of the gospel. And I'm exercised about this passionately because today churches are in decline unnecessarily. Not because people are not interested in the gospel outside, but because, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, who I spent five minutes with yesterday on our doorstep, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, too many churches are propagating the gospel. A piece of propaganda. A piece of truth that you must mentally assent to. And I wanted to say to these people on our doorstep, show me something. You're just talking about pie in the sky. Show me something. Let me see your good works. And they didn't like it when I told them they are not Christian. Churches are propagating a gospel message, not a gospel, not a gospel model. There's two M's for those that like alliteration. There are not many preachers in this morning. Not a gospel message, but a gospel model. M-M. It wasn't words, it was action. The public might use our churches as a kind of a spiritual social service. That's what happens in the Anglican church, and more than one bishop have told me that. In other words, we're here to hatch, match, and dispatch. We will baptize, marry, and bury as a social service. But beyond that, the British public wisely, astutely, see little other use for the church as we have it. And I agree with them. Hello? Whose side are you on, Steve? I'm on the side. I haven't got my... I need... Julius says, I'm sure you don't want your Bible. 
when I have my Bible, it's to hold it up at times like this and say, that's what I'm with. That's what I'm for. <laughs> and that's what I live for. Now, why don't people see much use? Let me quote Bishop Graham Cray, who was one of the founders of Fresh Expressions. He says, because some churches resemble a private club. For those who want that kind of thing, <laughs> rather than a progressive social movement for those who need that kind of thing. Are you with the difference there? <laughs> Secondly, the public are less interested in, in the church because most churches were designed to meet the need of a bygone era, like a couple of centuries ago and more. And I'm ever so sorry, but I'd say this if Bishop Julian were here. And we're still wearing clothes that are five and six hundred years old. What's that about in the 21st century? But British culture is fast changing. People now see little value-added benefit from many churches. What's more, they often see no reason for their existence. We need, says Bishop Graham, we need to develop the capacity of pioneering afresh. So in other words, what Bishop Graham was saying is that the whole model of church life in institutional Christianity is about church gathered, what we do here in our holy moments, <laughs> like a Sunday morning. And the pitch to our society is, come, we want you to come and join us here to do this. Well, why should they? Configured around church, gathered. It's a result of a thing called Christendom. It's been going on by stealth over centuries. Christendom, institutional Christianity. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you should sit in straight rows and look at the neck of the person in front of you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say half the stuff we do in our denominations, which is so sacrosanct to the heritage of our particular denomination. So, what was the early church doing? Well, they were configured... This is a food bank, by the way. They were configured for church scattered. The opposite. This is where we started life as the church of Jesus Christ. This was the aftermath of Pentecost. Most of the people in the church, remember there are only a, however many, 120 were in the upper room and, and got into the messy thing like speaking in tongues and the power of the Holy Spirit. Only about 120. Now there were thousands in the Jerusalem church, many of whom had not yet received a baptism in the Holy Spirit. But what were they doing? What were they about? They were about church scattered. 
They were walking as Jesus walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, if you are uh, reading this at home, uh, uh, where the Apostle John says, if we believe in him, we should walk as he walked. And that's why I put a litmus test against denominational behavior and say, is this how Jesus walked? No. Well, then why are we still doing it? <laughs> you get me. <laughs> but they had a unity of purpose that was greater than their differences. Isn't it wonderful? Families can fight, but they'll defend one another to the death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A unity of purpose. It says, that, as Muriel read for us, 33a, all the believers were of one heart and one mind about the things that matter. Then they had a unity of assets which crossed all social divides. Verse 32. I think we're supposed to have gone on to. Um, no one claimed their possessions were exclusively their own, says the Amplified. But they shared what they had for the use of all. And the bottom line is in verse 34, there were no needy people among them. Who's not going to join a fellowship like that? And then verse 34, second part, from time to time, those who owned assets, not every day, but those who owned assets, sold them and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet to be distributed to anyone who had need. They recognized internal champions as well. That's the next one. <laughs> they recognized internal champions of the cause, people who were pace setters. And they had a guy who reminds me of Cliff Richard when he was converted in the ministry of Billy Graham. Anybody that old? Yes, some nods. And um, this guy was an Orthodox Jew from Cyprus called Joseph. And his Aramaic uh, nickname was Barnaba. Okay? Barnabas. Bar, you'll know, means son of. Nehema is to do with grace. And consolation. You know, Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi, it means grace. Naama in the Arabic language. Nehemiah, the prophet, is from the same root. My God is gracious. So, this guy, Barnabas, uh, was a, a fantastic bloke. And uh, he had a, a he was a prominent convert, as it were, um, and uh, he was a pace setter. It says um, in uh, verse thirty six, Joseph was a Levite, 
Not just any kind of Jew, but turbocharged Orthodox Jew. A Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, consolation, grace. And he sold his field and put the money at the apostles' feet. And so the church were modeling Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come today. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? The Jehovah's Witness, oh, well, your kingdom come. It, won't it be wonderful? Yeah. No, that's not what the prayer says. Your kingdom come, it means now. We want to see it. We want to see it grow in the Hartington Road, in this parish. Your will be done as the youth are getting out of control in this part of the city. Your will be done. And that's what we commit to prayer. We commit to action. And Dave, you couldn't have given me a better platform this morning. It's the planning of this man is absolutely stratospheric. The merging of the theme of how St. Stephen's wants to have a part of the action in the parish through Community Connect. I'm feeling like Boris Johnson. <laughs> Your kingdom come now. Your will be done now as it is in heaven every day. And with great ability, it says in the Amplified, great ability and power, the uh, apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the leadership carried a moral and spiritual authority. Exousia is the, the word. Power. Um, it's like an, an authority means you are an author. Have you ever twigged that? If you're an authority on something, it means you originate the facts and the truth about it. And they had authority as Jesus had authority. He was the one originating social revolution of the best possible sort. And to close, how are we doing? Oh, we're not bad. I can't believe this. Um, one more point and I'm done. Our responsibility as a local church. We're a local expression uh, in all sorts of ways. Great grace, favor, and goodwill was powerfully at work among them all, not just the apostles, among them all. The local church is designed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He knows what he's doing. To be he created and designed the church to be an advanced outpost of the kingdom of God on earth. You got that? 
Jesus designed the church to be an outpost of the kingdom of God on earth. Not to huddle behind closed doors on a Sunday morning and bob up and down like good Anglicans as we are, God willing. But to realize the whole thing is about being an outpost of the kingdom of God. We're turning it on its head. We exist for our non-members. Jesus designed the church to be his body, his hands, his feet in society. He's the one who would pass by, looking what he did in creation. He's got, I'm an artist by background, by the way. I have an eye for color and design. And I look at this, I'm with Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world. You go with David Attenborough under the water to the depths of the sea and you think, wow. And he would walk the Hartington Road and say, oh, we'll have a hanging basket there. We'll put some flowers in that one there. No gold, get rid of them. That's better. He would go throughout the parish and want to kiss it with his grace. And next Monday, we have the privilege of being with him on our knees, putting stuff in the ground and praying for the ground, praying for that part of the parish, praying for the houses surrounding and the people in them. He designed the church to be a community which doesn't just talk about the gospel, but is engaged in doing the gospel by social engagement. And lastly, he designed the church to be a community that is a foretaste of heaven to come. Minus our fallouts and infighting and the friction and the stuff that pastors tell me about all the time. And by the way, that's part of discipleship. How to kiss and make up, not leave. Hello. It's all part of discipleship. So churches shouldn't be like this. <laughs> Says who? He knew what he was doing when he called us his family, his brothers, his sisters, his body. And so I just rejoice that St. Stephen's are on a journey in this direction, so that what we do here on a Sunday morning, evening, and any other time of the week is just the tip of the iceberg. Google it and get a picture taken from the sea of an iceberg. And what you see at the top is 10% of what's beneath the surface. And we want to reverse the thing. What we do on a Sunday morning is the 10% at the bottom, and we are exposed to the community let your light so shine that they may see what you're like and what you do and what you're for. And then they'll glorify your Father. They'll join you because they believe in what they see. Let's pray together, shall we? Would you stand with me? And um, I've got a, a thing from Africa. Augustine's not in, but um, this one is actually from East Africa. Uh, by Joe Seramani, 
And what I'd like to do is read it for you, and then if you want to listen to it and get it in by your ears, great. If you want to follow it on the screen and get it through your eyes, great. Um, But I will say it for you, and if you want to copy, let me know afterwards. So let's pray together as a response to what we've heard from Dave earlier and now through these verses in Acts. Lord, you asked for our hands that we might use them for your purpose. We gave them for a moment, then withdrew them, for the work was hard. You asked for our mouths to speak out against injustice. We gave you a whisper that we might not be accused. You asked for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them, for we did not want to see. You asked for our lives, that you might work through us. We gave a small part, that we might not get too involved. Lord, forgive us for our calculated efforts to serve you, only when it is convenient to do so, only in those places where it is safe to do so, and only with those who make it easy to do so. Father, forgive us and renew us Send us out as usable instruments that we might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. God bless.